0: Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Welcome to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack, and today our guest is Brad Cartier, and he's a real estate developer, writer, prop tech investor, and advisor and marketing consultant in the real estate technology space. He's a co-founder of Blair Capital Asset Management, which develops and manages missing middle multifamily in Canada. He's also a writer on all things real estate for Briefcase, where he is a co-founder as well as other outlets. So Brad, welcome to the show. How are you doing today?
1: I'm well. Thanks for asking. I'm so happy to be here, Eileen. Thanks for the invite.
0: Thank you. Brad, can you share a little bit more about your background and then also I'd like to get into the topic of the missing middle multifamily as well, because that's the first time I've ever heard of it. So I would love for you to educate us as well on that. But can you please share where your background is and what your current focus is on real estate?
1: Yeah, well, thanks for the opportunity. I started investing in real estate about uh, 15 years ago, Uh, bought a condo with a a business partner. It ended up being a terrible investment, but it was an amazing education and First kick of the can for me to really get me excited about real estate. From there, we invested in uh, new development condos in Montreal and learned a lot there. And then about five years ago, we pivoted to uh, missing middle multifamily development. And that's uh, currently what our focus is on with uh, Blair Capital. So we develop, we buy land, build small multifamily units on them. And then we refinance them and stabilize them and then hold them long-term. So we're, I like to refer to our development company as vertically integrated. We, you know, myself and my partners, we all have a role, whether it's acquisition or property management or construction, we do everything in-house, which, uh, which has some challenges, but it also has, uh, there's a lot of superpowers with that type of model. So yeah, that's generally my trajectory in, in real estate.
0: When you say missing middle multifamily, what does that really mean? Like, what is, yeah, what does that term mean?
1: Well, it's the missing middle of our housing uh, fabric in, in North America. So if you think back post-World War I, uh with the, you know, advent, mass advent of the automobile and urban, suburban sprawl and uh, uh, the flight to the suburbs where everyone wanted their sort of cookie cutter home, single family home, and uh, everyone started commuting, it made people leave the city for these uh, single family homes. And that was great for middle-class wealth generation. But what it did is it actually uh, put us very extremely behind on light densification. And we're seeing the uh, results of that now with a uh, very low supply of affordable and rental housing across North America. If you look at Europe, you know, you, you, you think of a typical European city. They don't have the suburbs like we have here in North America. And in fact, if you go to their downtown core, it's usually triplexes, fourplexes, courtyard apartments, like very low density multifamily, primarily rentals as well. Um, So that's really the term for missing middle. It's, uh, It's anywhere from a duplex all the way up to, you know, there's varying definitions, but 12 to 16, you know, low rise type, light, smaller multifamily units.
0: When you're looking for the areas where you want to develop these new properties and the multifamily units, what are some of the things that you look for in terms of like the location and metrics that you have to evaluate before going into this new market or just certain particular area?
1: Yeah, our development company is very niche in terms of location. So we don't develop in any cities. We focus on secondary and tertiary markets. And I have a lot of friends who build in cities. It's just not our model. But we look for... Uh, small communities, usually 10 to 20,000 population close to a a metro. In our case, it's Ottawa is the big city, but we only build in the smaller towns around that larger metro. And we do that for a a variety of reasons I can get into, but we really look for that, that smaller type of uh, community that where they don't have a whole lot of rental supply that we can really bring a solid, you know, B class uh, multifamily to that market.
0: With a 10 to 20 thousand population that you're looking for, are there any other types of like landmarks or particular businesses that you also evaluate and employment also or other metrics that you evaluate in addition to like the population size?
1: Yeah, I mean, we look for positive population growth. We'll look at census data just to make sure that it's not a, a, you know, a flat line or declining population but myself and my partners were all from this area so we know all these little communities fairly well so yeah there's it it's less scientific and uh just more of just you know historical experience we only focus on this this ottawa region so yeah then generally speaking there's there's a couple anchor employers but again it's that proximity to the the larger Metro that uh, that intrigues us the most because we have lots of commuter commuters here and Ottawa is a very stable job market the federal government is here we have a very strong tech presence as well so um, we're, we're really piggybacking off the the demographic uh, positive headwinds for the larger metro by focusing on the smaller city but we're we're able to make our numbers work a lot better because there's lower acquisition costs there's it's cheaper to build easier to find labor. There's a number of factors that make the, the smaller communities very appealing to us. There's very few rentals in these communities. So our vacancy rates across our portfolio are, is almost zero, especially since we're building uh, new build rentals. The, the rental stock in in smaller communities tends to be older. So yeah, there's, there's a variety of reasons.
0: Can you share just to give us kind of like a benchmark on what we're looking at here, um, the comparison between like the cost to build from the ground up versus the cost to buy something that's pre-existing at this moment?
1: Yeah, I mean, cap rates are still pretty low for multifamily. So that means prices are still relatively high. I know we're heading into recessionary times, so that will definitely change. And remember when I talked to cap rates are, are rising, so prices are coming down. But it, really in the last five years, it was, from my perspective, it didn't make a whole lot of sense to buy a property resale we're currently building a bunch of sixplexes in a small town for our cost to build we're building at about half the price that we could get that on the resale market that's going to change with prices uh, decreasing but even if it goes up to 60% or you know 65% it still makes a lot of economical sense to do do the model that uh, that that we do and particularly on the construction side our you know price per square foot is uh, again probably another 50% less than what it is in in the major cities as well because land and materials and labor is you know is so much more expensive.
0: How are you incorporating the current environment within real estate and a lot of the things that people are concerned about is potentially going into recession and also the interest rate rising. How do you how do you take a look at that and how are you incorporating that into your business model today?
1: Yeah, this might not be a typical answer, but I'm extremely happy with the current environment. I was extremely unhappy with the last five years. It was a very unbalanced uh, housing market. Prices were through the roof. It was it was very difficult to to make acquisitions, and a lot of people made money, but that was just because of the market forces, not necessarily you know because they made the right moves from a real estate investment standpoint. So I think what we're seeing is a is a broader stabilization of the housing market, and unfortunately, it's it's going to be felt. Uh, There's going to be a lot of pain uh, for people who over leveraged or who acquired the wrong asset. But in that sense, you know, folks like myself are looking at the market now and we're starting to see a lot more deals come across our desks that actually pencil in. And even with interest rates rising, interest rates were so low for so long artificially that wasn't healthy for the market. Um, And it's why we're seeing, you know, runaway inflation. So to see the interest rates rising uh, slightly, I know they've been rising rapidly, but We can get into interest rates and what I feel about that, but uh, they will come down as we enter uh, a recession. So I think we'll get to a pretty stable interest rate environment as well as a much more balanced housing market that will make acquisitions for what we do a lot more economically feasible for us and our investors.
0: How are you also preparing yourself in case of the downturn or and preparing yourselves in terms of what you're looking in your underwriting and um, adding the conservatism on top of it to hedge against the inflation, to hedge against the rising interest rates?
1: Yeah, so that's a great question, Eileen. Um, we stress tests uh, across a number of different factors, including vacancy, interest rates, and significant CapEx expenses. So we have various risk mitigators for that, but we do in our underwriting make sure that we can sustain vacancies for an extended period of time, for instance, or you know ten percent interest rates if you know heaven forbid it ever came to that um you know, it definitely puts downward pressure on our cash flow, but we're at least we're not underwater and we're still uh, we're still uh, alive and kicking. So yeah, we have a number of different uh, things that we stress test uh, against. And you know, now with interest rates rising, it's, it's, I'm pretty thankful that we, we did do that.
0: We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you our listener at a higher level and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both. And we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners and take all the post-production off your plate. So you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam to schedule your free consultation find the link in the show notes what are your sentiments with the interest rates rising and do you think that they'll continue to go up over the next couple of months year and then how are you shifting your strategy if you are at all
1: yeah i not shifting my strategy actually i'm i'm holding back our company's holding back on acquisitions for the next uh say, six to, to 24 months, depending on that interest rate environment and how bad the recession, whether it's shallow or, or a deep one, because I do think there's going to be a lot better deals to come than we're seeing today. I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. So I think the central banks, both in the US and Canada, made a huge mistake by not acting a lot sooner and by you know continually printing money for over a decade when it wasn't really needed uh, over the last little while. Um, so that's why we're seeing inflation be so high. So what I think I think the central banks are doing, and they allude to this in some of their minutes and commentary, is that they are overshooting on purpose because they need to hit the brakes on economic growth. Like They want a recession. They'd rather a recession than not hit their 2% inflation targets. So I think their credibility is on the line right now. So that's why you're seeing interest rates rise so fast, so quickly. My thinking, and I, I talk to a lot of smarter people than myself about this, is that they're raising rates high very quickly so that they have the ammunition that when a recession comes that they can lower them again. So I think interest rates in the short term will go up. And you know, you guys down south have a have a meeting on November first and second. The central bank is widely expected to raise another seventy five basis points. Um, and you know, the meeting after that, people are also expecting another rise, maybe fifty basis points. So, but I think you'll see that start to level off over the next year or two depending on when the actual official recession begins again i'm i'm not all doom and gloom about the current situation i think the central banks are doing what they have to but we're in this position right now because partly because of what they did to begin with so but i'm long term bullish on sort of the mid range interest rates at you know 5 or 6% long term we're never going to go back to almost 0% interest rates but it's not going to go up to what it was in the 80s at you know, in the high teens or anything like that. No one is expecting that because you have to remember too all this government debt that was issued, you know, they have to pay that back. So interest rates affect their debt service as well as ours. Uh, Governments are are in a similar position, not a similar position to us, but, you know, they have to pay that debt back too. So very high interest rates is not in their uh, best interest either. So for that reason, I think that we're going to see it go up higher in the short term, and then it'll level off uh, in probably in the next you know 12 to 24 months.
0: What do you see happening in the lending environment also with the rising interest rates? I know there have been quite a number of banks also that have capped the number of loans that they're issuing out. And also there have been a number of banks that have pulled out and stopped lo- lending for projects. What do you think that that's doing to the real estate environment now? And then do you think that their sentiments will start to change over time?
1: Well, I mean, it's a very cyclical industry, right? So the you know the lending sentiment will change. It's very poor right now for a lot of the reasons that you said. We're seeing uh, sales plummet. We're seeing mortgage applications, refi applications drop to record lows. And we're seeing huge layoffs at mortgage companies. We're seeing some mortgage companies go bankrupt. So I think right now, if you're expecting, you know, that 80% loan to value and easy debt, then, you know, that's that's not going to happen. So I think we're looking at the deals now, we're looking at probably 60% loan to value. So investors just have to be prepared to fork up a little bit more cash upfront. But in one sense, that also de-risks your yourself to a significant downturn as well. If you have more equity in the property, you're less likely to be underwater. So again, I think... Maybe I'm just a half glass full kind of guy, but I think this is is a good thing for for investors. It it forces us to be a lot more disciplined than I think many of us have been over the last, you know, 5 years.
0: If we're doing more of the 60% loan to value now, the returns that investors are typically used to seeing in the real estate space, they can come down a little bit more than what they've typically been seeing. How have your investors viewed this and has it been positive or has it just been an education kind of thing for them?
1: It's been an education thing because, I mean, yeah, your returns go down, but at least you're not facing an existential threat to your business. If you're over leveraged over the next couple of years, you have some serious problems ahead of you. I mean, I don't wish ill on anyone, but if you're over leveraged, then as interest rates rise and banks stop lending, you're not going to have many options. So I think it's an education piece to investors to explain why we're doing what we're doing. So yes, your immediate returns will be less, but our cash flows will be higher because we have less debt on the property, depending on the interest rate. But overall, it's it's a pretty positive sentiment amongst our investors, just because I think our thinking strategically around the current environment is, is fairly accurate.
0: And for you, Brad, what's kind of next for you and what you're looking to do over the next couple of months, over so a couple of years? Is it stay within the Canadian market, build out the middle multifamily development, branching out to different markets, like what's next for you?
1: Yeah. I mean, we have a great model, our development company, and I continually believe that it is a long-term, the best long-term wealth generator. You know, this smaller town, secondary tertiary markets, missing middle, So we're just going to keep doing more of the same. We will probably branch out to other cities around our hometown of Ottawa, probably stay in our province of Ontario, but maybe, maybe other provinces in in Canada, but really stick with, stick with that model. Because one thing I didn't mention about the missing middle multifamily is that from a market standpoint, you know, these properties are a lot easier to exit than larger multifamily properties. So your exit strategies are are quite a bit better. And the political winds of change are, are coming, you know, this, this is coming full circle, but with all of our supply issues, you know, governments, federal and state and municipal, provincial in Canada, are realizing that the only way to solve our affordable our affordability crisis in North America, and it's worse in Canada than it is in the U.S., is to build more homes. There's no band aid solutions. It's you have to build more. So. How do you build more is you enable that light densification. So in California, in your home state, you you might remember last year with the passing of SB9, which was essentially an upzoning bill from the legislature, which basically says, for anyone who doesn't know, 85% of zoning in North America is R1, which means you can build one home. That's it. So it's, it's actually referred to as exclusionary zoning. So it excludes you from doing other things. So now municipalities and, and states are saying, OK, if we need more supply, we have to enable more building. If we are going to enable more building, we have to incentivize the private sector to build more. So we remove these exclusionary zoning requirements to make it cheaper for builders. And that upzoning, that doesn't go to the, you know, 200 unit uh, condo development like they want. And it's in the legislation Ontario just a couple of days ago passed or tabled legislation that is exactly the same as SB9. I think they <laughs> ripped ripped mm-hmm. it off by page, but essentially they, they like the ta- like in the actual document is we want more missing middle multifamily. So they want to enable they're removing zoning requirements for up to 10 units or removing development fees. So I think the model of missing middle de- development over the next 10 years with our supply shortage, I think that's a winning strategy. So we're just going to keep doing what we're doing.
0: And how has real estate investing impacted your life, Brad?
1: Uh, a lot. Uh, I mean, I it's uh, it's given me a lot of flexibility in what I do. I used to have a full time job, and uh, I left that uh, a couple years ago. So it's it's enabled that. Uh, I have uh, I have four young daughters and, and a wife, so it's it's enabled a little bit more flexibility with them. And you know, like like I said, our, our company is vertically integrated, so I have a lot of partners. Uh, you know. Business partners uh, that, that I really get along with and align with, and you know, we're all very passionate about what we do, about putting roofs over people's heads. So I think those couple things are, are really what excites me the most.
0: Four young girls and your wife—you are definitely outnumbered in your household.
1: <laughs> outnumbered, but I'm quite loved.
0: I can imagine you are the number one man. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, and we have a female dog, so I. Won't.
0: <laughs> <laughs> there you go. And what is the one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started?
1: I almost want to say, you know, start yesterday, but that's probably a, a cliche. When I first got into real estate, I saw it as very transactional. So it was tenants and landlords. And from what I heard from a lot of the mom and pop landlords that I initially spoke to, it was nothing but bad things to say about their tenants. You know, They're always causing problems you know, some of the properties we've acquired that, you know, are underutilized, you know, duplexes and triplexes that we're going to tear down and and build back up the horror stories we hear from tenants and landlords alike about that sort of that relationship. But I mean, at the end of the day, tenants are our customers and treating them like human beings and customers and understanding their personas and being there for them and, you know, providing help when needed and being understanding. I think that would have helped me out a lot more when I got started. Yeah.
0: And what is the one thing that sets the successful people apart in real estate investing?
1: I think, I mean, I've talked to a lot of people who want to get into real estate, but never do. And then I talked to a lot of people who want to get into real estate and do get into real estate. And I think the the ones that get into real estate successfully are not afraid to, to take the risk and take the jump. And I think the, generally speaking, the folks that don't get into real estate investing are, you know, are the ones who overanalyze or who uh, second guess themselves or, you know feel like an imposter uh, you know we all felt that way and i, I think those people who are uh, willing to go out on a limb and you know take a risk and a calculated risk but and the second answer to that is you got to surround yourself with like-minded people none of this would be wouldn't accomplish any of this without the the people around me the team both professionally and and personally so finding groups and like-minded people and networking and talking and mentors and coaches and all that kind of stuff like you you have to surround yourself with like-minded people both on your team and uh and personally
0: awesome and brad if our listeners wanted to find out more about what you're doing where's the best place that they can go
1: yeah so we write a weekly real estate newsletter it's awesome we have so much fun writing it i find myself laughing a lot as i'm typing it out every week so it's briefcase.email and we talk about everything related to real estate the good, the bad, the ugly, the spooky this week. I don't know when this episode comes out, but it's Halloween coming up. So we did a Halloween theme newsletter, but it's all comes back to real estate and it comes directly from my email. So if folks sign up at briefcase.email. They'll get an email directly from me and they could reach out. Uh, they could just respond to the email.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for all your time today, Brad. I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, Eileen. This is fun.
0: And thank you for listening to our podcast today brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate. We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. If you're anything like Zayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, Check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Sale and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to BonifaceCapital.com and fill out the Contact Us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.